and then we lose it. We are yelling at her that dad has tried to kill us again, that we are freezing cold, we will never be warm again, we are starving hungry, and we had to bail with beer cans. Welcome to Superthink. My name is Eric Klein. I'm joined in the studio by my Superthink friends, Tim Marcroft, Bjarka Kronborg, and Gina LaRubio. How are you guys doing? Great. Yeah, good. Yeah, great. Good. Well, we're going to listen to a story of gratitude told recently at a live event that Superthink puts on here in Portland. But first, we should tell people the mission of Superthink. Why are we doing it? Bjarka. Superthink is a... Our goal is to spread 1 billion acts of radical community gratitude. And we believe that by talking about and showing and displaying gratitude, um, other people are inspired to do the same. And so we hope to start what we call the gratitude engine, where one act of gratitude triggers someone else to show gratefulness in their life. And then we have an infinite supply of gratitude that we are able to unlock. And why do we do storytelling stories of gratitude, Tim? Well, stories are one of the best ways to get people to learn and feel things. Uh, People tend to identify better with the characters in a story than they do with uh, a long exposition about the benefits of storytelling, for example. So (laughs) I think think we can all tell that storytelling is the best way to pass information along. Yeah, so we've we've been putting on these storytelling events for a while now, and there's been a good handful of people, friends, and uh, strangers come into the room and and share and share their stories of gratitude in front of the live audience and then uh, there's some spontaneous storytelling as well people people can choose to join the open mics we're gonna hear a story uh from from Amy what's Amy's last name sample Ward Amy sample Ward who's uh well, well we'll listen to her story and then and then we'll come back and uh, discuss. Here's Amy. I remember very distinctly the smell of the apples and that it was a very, very sunny day, the kind of sunny day that movies try and depict when they're trying to make it seem like everyone wishes they grew up in the country. And my brother and I were kind of crouched down in the orchard And we were watching as my dad would pass on the big riding lawnmower in the field. And we're crouched down because we know when he gets close enough, we're going to jump out. And that is a game when you grow up in the country. (laughs) And really anything that looks to others like generally hanging out in a field or barn or orchard or garden or pig pen, that is a game when you are a child in the country. So we're crouched down, we're watching him do his passes through the field, and as he gets closer, we just like crouch down more, like somehow we're going to load a spring in ourselves, and ultimately, it's all about anticipation in these games, because somehow you're the one that knows you're going to surprise them, and that's really fun waiting around. So we sit in the trees, waiting, waiting, crouch all the way down, and then he gets close enough, and both of us kind of half jump half run into the field yelling surprise and I I have no doubt that our yelling of surprise is entirely inaudible with the sound of a giant riding lawnmower going by 
the volume of the mower also then made it so we could not hear any other sounds. The bees swarm very fast. And having a giant lawnmower uncover a ground hornet nest that we're now standing on, things happen quickly. Um, I, I don't know how long it took my dad to hop off the mower, which... It's like a boat when you hop off, it automatically turns off, and he runs over to us. By the time he got there, there are bees everywhere. They're in our hair. They're under our clothes. It is bees all the time where we are. And I, the next memory I have is not in the field. Somehow we went from the field and we're up at the house on the porch, and there aren't a lot of bees. The bees that are still on us are dead, and they're, like, in our pockets. And, you know, you're just finding dead bees. And my mom is making baking soda cream to put on all the stings. And I have no doubt we are co- probably crying a lot. I don't remember crying. I do remember sitting, and I remember looking at my brother and all of our stings, and he's covered in red. And that is the first time I remember surviving Uh, an unwitting attempt on my life, thanks to growing up in the country with my father. Years go by, and the three of us this time are lowering ourselves down into the Tualatin River, where we're going to go on a day-long fishing adventure, where, as anyone who's gone on a fishing adventure on the Tualatin River, it's all about the experience, right? You're just there to fish, taking turns paddling, casting, catching trout. Uh, we, We mostly marked kind of the passage of time as little kids by counting how many log jams we had to go over. So the small ones, you can like force the canoe through the log jam. The big ones, you feel very strong. You get out of the canoe. You carry the canoe over the log jam. And everything's fine. You know, we're hanging out. Dad's telling us stories. And then apparently it can happen that when you're casting from a seated position in a canoe on a moving river, in a wooded river, that your line gets caught in the tree above you. And at that point, things also move quickly. Um, My brother and I are in the boat. We see it. We know this is when Dad will swear. He then moves to a standing position very quickly, pulls very hard on the line, and my brother and I grab the sides of the canoe, basically just ensuring that we hold on to the canoe while it capsizes, and then are in the water, which we realize is much colder when you're in the river than when you're, like, splashing each other with paddles. Um, We kind of start screaming. Dad is scream swearing, which is louder than our screams. And eventually we get back in the boat. Boat is upright. We are in it. It is filled with water, obviously. Uh, And that is when he hands my brother and I the two Oli cans that were in the cooler and instructs us to start bailing. (laughs) So... We do, though even as small children, the inefficiency of bailing an entire canoe with two Oli cans, not lost on us. Totally aware of what this process is about to be like. So that goes on for a while. He is bailing with the cooler that the cans had been in. And we get to a point where there's enough water out of the boat that nothing is floating. You know, we're just sitting in it. Um, He goes back to fishing. 
And this, there's no cell phone. You have to stay the course. We will be in this canoe until we get to the part of the river where my mom is waiting with the truck. No, no other option here. But we are not going down easy. So we refuse to fish. We refuse to tell stories. We refuse to acknowledge the potential for fun now that we are soaking wet and have bailed the boat. Uh, when we finally get down the river, we get to this part where the river goes underneath the country road. So my mom's parked the truck and we can see it from a distance. And we kind of thought maybe she just left it for us. We're, our, our hearts are a little sad. But as we get closer, we see she's actually come down the path and is, is watching for us to come around. And then we lose it. As loud as we can, we are yelling at her that dad has tried to kill us again. <laughs> that we are freezing cold, we will never be warm again, we are starving hungry, and we had to bail with beer cans. We are yelling this because we want, the, on the record, Dad made us bail with beer cans. It was ultimately, we got out, my mom had blankets, she had snacks, we were fine. I was never going fishing again. I made that very clear that day. With a whole childhood of these experiences, I think it's, uh, understandable that one random day when my dad, for who knows what reason, decided it was the moment my brother and I would learn to clean and load and shoot a gun, and that we would do so by practicing with a pellet gun in the front yard, that I made it very clear, I will have nothing to do with this activity today or ever. Please take your pellet gun and go play somewhere else. I am not part of this game. Now about Four or five years ago, I started noticing this, this pain, like ebb and flow pain, but it would never go all the way away. And the only way I could describe it is that it was pain in my face. It, it is technically, when I tried to explain this to a doctor, where your sinuses are, but it didn't feel like a cold, like where you normally think you're having sinus pain. It just felt like this pain in my face. And I didn't have hay fever. I didn't have seasonal allergies. I got tested for all those things. And it just went on for years. I wanted to think this was just kind of the new normal. This is maybe like something I had to live with. But it, when it was bad, it was so bad, I couldn't believe I really had to live that way. So I went to a new doctor. And in this intake, kind of patient intake process, the doctor wanted to do everything. Like every... Everything I'd ever thought about hurting, I needed to document. And every potential thing that could be in my blood got tested. I don't even know what they test in your blood, but there's things in there, apparently, that show themselves when the blood is taken out of you. And I, was, I came back in for an appointment. She showed me the test results, and it's this huge page, and everything is in the green. You know, and you feel very proud of yourself, like, I've created beautiful blood. Everything is green and perfect, except for this one red marker. And I have no idea what any of these codes mean. And the doctor said, okay, that's, um, sure, we're going to do another test. And I thought, that's sure, um, we're doing another test. Doesn't sound great, let's, but let's do that test right now. And when the test came back, turns out I have an allergy, a genetic allergy to potatoes, the result of which is major inflammation in my sinuses and my heart. So that test was discovering that I could have eventually closed everything had I not found that out. 
A little while later, my dad similarly had a full blood scan done. I did not need to know the results of his blood test um, to already deeply understand them. That if there was anyone who was going to provide me with horrible pain and swelling, and if there was anyone I could thank at the genetic level for doing this to me, it would be my father. My mom was the one who emailed me the results because my dad refused to call and tell me that his potato allergy results were off the charts. Thanks again to Amy Sampleward for sharing that story of gratitude. That's This one's a fun one. If all stories at Superthank are gratitude stories, how is Amy's tale... I think she definitely talked about fondness about her dad. Yeah. You don't get to pick and choose whether or not you get the good stuff or the bad stuff or a bit of both on the genetic level. Um, And accepting it and living to learn with it and realizing that you are what you are because both the good and the bad, I think is a powerful realization. And, I mean, at the basic level... She got out of it with some pretty great stories. Because who wants to go down a river and get a fish and all that really easily? Yeah, she managed to uh, survive all of those things with her father. Obviously, he's in, along with the potato allergy, he's passed down some pretty strong genes. Yeah. Well, Amy, thank you for sharing your story of survival. That, it, it did relate strongly to the theme of that night, which was... On Darwin Day of all nights, the survival of the fittest, natural selection. She's clearly fit. Yeah. And her dad is too, in his own special way. Beer cans, that was creative. Um, What, if people want to see a live event, when's our next, what's happening next at Superthank? I believe the next one is on April 12th. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's at Eastburn from 7 to 9, but come early because the place fills up. And so if you want to have a seat come at like 6.30 or 6.45 and uh, yeah, we look forward to seeing you. Do we have a theme? It's our second birthday. So we have, uh, we have new beginnings because it's springtime and it is uh, Super Thanks' second birthday. Wow. 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 Two years old. Also, if you're coming, consider bringing a story for the open mic. Um, in the break, we have an opportunity for people to tell stories of like two to three minutes about... Uh, something they're grateful for that relate to the theme of the night. So if you have something uh, about new beginnings that you want to share, do come and uh, sign up for the open mic. Yeah, and then if you also have a story of gratitude that you want to share, not at this next April event, but sometime in the near future, uh, pitch pitch it to us at the Superthank website. That'll be superthank.org, I believe. Yeah, superthank.org. Well, great. Uh, to, oh, and man... I'd be remiss if we didn't mention that a considerable portion of the stories told at these live events over the past two years are all available in the podcast feed. Dig, dig back, listen to the first one. I'm going to re-listen to the first one right now, as soon as we're done with this, because it's there, sitting sitting there, uh, collecting digital dust full of gratitude, full of the original gratitude of the Super Thanks show. 
Yeah, and there's some gems in there, like uh, Anthony Deloney thanking Jaguar. Right. Remember? Yes. That was a good day. Yeah, it was fun. Uh, yeah, so that's that's on the iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Thank you to Poddington Bear for the music on this show. And uh, tune in next time for another story of gratitude. <laughs> <laughs>